are never truly lost. Well, okay, sure. Maybe we get turned around for a few days in the woods. Where life just feels like it's getting the best of us. And everything's going wrong. And I'm Mike Martin. And I've stood right where you're standing. Lost. Beaten down. Like nothing's ever going to change. And that's why I built this camp. And that's why I'm inviting you to join me and all the members of this wild community. Because you know what, friend? It does get better. So come along with me into the wild and let me show you this awesome, unique skill set that lays with inside of you. With help from the land, we're going to unlock the steward that's inside each and every one of us that will lead the way out of the darkness and into healing. Here at the Camp of Healing on Project Mindfully Outdoors. never truly lost well okay sure maybe we get turned around for a few days in the woods where life just feels like it's getting the best of us and everything's going wrong and I'm Mike Martin and I've stood right where you're standing lost beaten down like nothing's ever gonna change and that's why I built this camp and that's why I'm inviting you to join me and all the members of this wild community. Because you know what, friend? It does get better. So come along with me into the wild and let me show you this awesome, unique skill set that lays with inside of you. With help from the land, we're gonna unlock the steward that's inside each and every one of us that will lead the way out of the darkness and into healing. Here at the Camp of Healing, on Project Mindfully Outdoors. As I personally have come to discover and really deeply understand, some of the most authentic missions in life are born in the face of unexpected events, which is why I value my relationship with today's sponsor, MyMedic.com. I'm very proud to share with you the special offer that we put together with the folks over at MyMedic, because right now, when you use the promo code PROJECTOUTDOORS15, will save 15% site-wide on their entire selection of life-saving products. You know, the weather is finally starting to get warm, which means that it's time to hit the field, camping, hiking, fishing, and just outright chasing the adventure, right? As you're gearing up and you're getting ready, don't overlook the most important staple of any trip, first aid and preparation. Having the ability to provide first aid and care in the field saves lives, and MyMedic.com is founded on that exact principle. Because, you see, there was a tragic event that ended up costing someone's life while waiting for emergency assistance after an accident. And the survivors found themselves powerless in that moment, unable to do anything to save a life because they were unprepared. So then, after that event, they got together and formed MyMedic.com. 
and it will put the power back in not only their hands, but your hands. And should a, an emergency situation arise, and you know, I always keep my medic sidekick pack close at hand, just for that same peace of mind. And right now, you can do the same. Put the power in your hand and give yourself that peace of mind by visiting mymedic.com or hitting the, sh the link in the show notes and using promo code Project Outdoors 15 today. That's mymedic.com, promo code Project Outdoors 15, and be ready should that situation ever arise for you. All right, Aaron. So we've tried this many of times. <laughs> yes, we have. And you know what? It reminds me because actually I just picked up to start rereading uh, a Daniel Boone biography. And in the intro, they talk about the original process that someone went through to write the biography. However, he never actually published it. He went through years and years and years of reaching out to family members, research, getting everything together. And then it was like a combination of anxiety and self-doubt that prevented him from ever publishing his edition. However, he branched, that became the seed to branch out and become all the reference material for the books that we have nowadays. I feel like this is one of those sort of conversations. <laughs> Well, I could see when you're if you're publishing a book on someone you respect like that, it's got to be a lot of nerve-wracking to try to capture them, trap capture all the nuance, because you just always feel, I think, a little inadequate about doing it. And to me, when I listen and I read and I think about it, it's almost like he planted a seed. You know, he collected all this material that probably would have gone untouched or unseen, uncollected, and never been a brought out used to actually talk about who Daniel Boone truly was. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's just some people I'm trying to remember. There was a quote I heard recently, I think by Steve jobs, which was essentially, I get the benefit of all the work of all the people before you're like, I didn't invent a microprocessor yet. I get to have a computer. I get a, I didn't invent you know, or I didn't work and do all this work on my own clothing, yet I have these clothes that I didn't produce. And so you look at this, like we're, all, we're always in society standing on the shoulders of giants. And so I think we always need to have this base humility of, <laughs> we have so many benefits that we did not ourselves work for, but our, our ancestors and, and a lot of the people, especially with the, this country, work so much to give to us. It's this huge gift we need to always be aware of. I love that point because I set that up actually for you to hit that to left field and you hit that all the way to right field, which is awesome. <laughs> because, you know, when I think about the process that we all go through and we experience, we learn so much from everything around us as we grow. And those seeds do germinate. You know, they become essentially who we are. And we've got to learn to honor the, those sort of things. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, it's there. The seeds are germinating, but if you look underneath, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of research on what makes things go viral and successful people. And you look at it and underneath, there's always this amount of this massive amount of work. I mean, you were talking about how your podcast is getting successful and it's that same thing. Like that wasn't like, Oh, it just happened. I did it once. And everyone was like, yay, amazing. It's like this perpetual work of doing, of putting in effort and trying and staying on topic a lot of times, you know, like people can go in so many different areas, but finding a niche, staying in it, whether it's a, a novel by Daniel Boone, about not Daniel Boone, or, you know, whether it's a thing in a specific area, and it's just that perpetual effort in one place. And that's where really, over time it will bloom, but it's always hard in the short term because you're, it's like watching your garden grow and you're like, all right, I see nothing. I planted the seed yesterday. Oh, I, okay, now I'm barely seeing anything grow two weeks later, three weeks later. 
I love the fact that you mentioned the pot this podcast and what we were talking about before we hit record because I think that is like the be- the most beautiful example for somebody who's standing in any aspect of life like hey I just took the first couple of steps past the trailhead marker but it looks the same nothing's going to change no matter what I do you know with this podcast and really with the project overall I had no idea what I was doing I just knew that I wanted to move my feet and I wanted to walk and I started walking down the trail and all of a sudden, cause there was a lot of time down that, that it felt like nothing was coming out of it. And maybe I was even wasting my time, but I had that belief inside, you know, I had that message and that drive internally that, Hey, whether somebody listens to this or not, it doesn't matter because I need to put this out there. And that's something that I feel like a lot of us are afraid to do is take those internal gears and start to really turn them because we're afraid nothing's going to come out of it. Yeah. I mean, this is in my book, the family flywheel It's essentially talking about, and we talk about it in business, this idea of a flywheel you know, it's just like you're trying to get this the system started to spin. And it's it's kind of like if you want to generate wealth, you need to save some money, then you need to invest it. And sometimes you're not investing that into something that's going to make money immediately. Like I'm guessing you had to buy some podcasting equipment, right? Okay, I take some money that I've saved. Now I'm going to buy some equipment. Now I'm going to put this. Now I have to go figure out the podcasting space. Now I have to go work with all these guests and kind of generate a network. And then I have to figure out how to make all, you know, affiliates and those type of things. There's so many pieces that you've gone through and it's just now circulating back onto itself. Like now you took the action of getting educated on how to run a podcast and you've combined that with your, the time that you're spending on your podcast. Now that's starting to potentially turn into some financial assets, but it's this type of thing where it's like, over time, you're making a lot of investments, sometimes in yourself, in your time, sometimes in your social groups, sometimes, and then ultimately you sometimes get some financial return. But that's the same way in business, right? When you look at Google, they were like, well, we have this search engine. It's kind of cool. <laughs> hey, no, is anyone using it? People start to use it. And they were like, well, we have no way to make money. Okay, well, now we need to do figure out how to do ads. And then they figured that out. Okay, now we're making a good chunk of money. Okay, now we need to hire more people because too many people are using it and our servers are dying. So this is the whole the whole concept that I think about in business and in life is this flywheel effect where you're trying to get this thing going. And if you're familiar with um, engineering, like static friction, you know, when something stopped and you're trying to push it, it's always hardest when it stopped in that initial push. Once you get over static friction, then you get to dynamic friction, which is, you know, once you're getting it going, it's actually easier to push. But it's the initial friction to get it going is actually much harder than the dynamic friction once you've gone. So that's where I think a lot of what you're talking about, and we see this over and over in life, you got to get past that initial hump, the fear of looking like an idiot, the fear of making mistakes, saying dumb things, all that stuff, you got to get over it. And then you can have an opportunity to have success, but it never comes just because you put up one podcast or you just put something out there once. Well, that kind of ties into the book because, you know, you built this whole program. Essentially, you planted the seed and now all the different branches of that tree are starting to affect people. You know, they're reading the book they're picking it up and they're starting to understand the ideas and I guess the best place to start to go with this conversation would be to start to walk down that path as far as what brought you to the ability to write that book. Well, it was a little bit of an accident. I never wanted to write a book, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) I love that because you know what? I didn't intend to host host a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, I, I kind of look at life as I want to be opportunistic, you know, things happen and sometimes you just want to take advantage of the opportunity. So, I mean, I studied mechanical engineering when I was in college, then I got really frustrated with a boss when I was actually still in the MBA or in the engineering program. And I started to realize it doesn't matter how good of an engineer I am. If we don't have good business people, I, I'm not going to be a good, 
we're not going to have a successful company. So then I decided to go get an MBA. But in the process of doing that, I was in college for, geez, was about five, six years. And my wife at the time had built up this Irish dance business. And so when I finished my MBA, there was this opportunity. Should we go to a job like a stable, you know, go get the normal stable job or should we go to like an Intel in Portland and start down this, you know, the normal MBA trap or path. Well, my wife and I decided we're going to follow the, the Irish dance. Cause I had read rich dad, poor dad. And I liked assets. And I'm like, this is an asset. We have this business, not a very good one. It had like 50 dancers. So just, just barely going and over, then we started to do that. And so then I started to have my business career. We kind of built the business and it frankly sucked. I mean, I had no money, two kids and a mortgage, the studios behind the house. And I was watching my finances dry up and the business was kind of going. And you talked about it like, yeah, it wasn't making enough money to <laughs> make everything look good. It was making enough to be like, there's something here. But then it took me about, I was unemployed for 18 out of the first three years out of school. And then I started to work at a company called Ancestry.com. They went through an IPO when I was there. Then I left there. I went to a startup. They the startup in three years, we spent $11 million and didn't have good success. So we didn't get our next round of funding. So that disappeared. But by that time, the Irish dance business had grown up because we had kept working at it. We'd put out a sign, kept our marketing. So when that happened, I was like, I don't really need a job the same way I did. And then my wife's like, well, what do you want to do? My mom happened to connect me to a guy who was writing a book on entrepreneurship and biz and uh, family. And so I helped him research his book. And I said, hey, here's, here's what I think is a better model for your book. Got all excited about it. And he said, that's your book, not mine. I'm like, but I didn't want to write one. So <laughs> at the time I was, I mean, there were some big things. At that time, I had had a friend who... I'd grown up in the same neighborhood. My mom sent me an email and he had been uh, sentenced for rape and attempted murder to life in prison. And I kind of, I had four kids at this time and I thought, what in the freak just happened? How, like we were on the path. I played football. We were in the same church. We lived on the same block. You know, we were close by and he wasn't my best friend, but I played football, went to the same high school with him. And I looked at that and I'm like, I do not understand why families, some families don't work and why they do. And so that's really where this came out of, oh, I've started to research family and business. And then I started to go, wait, I need to understand the mechanics of family. So that's where I did this deep dive in the book on what I think are the structural, are the different facets actually. So I can actually look at a family and say, is that going to succeed? Is it going to fail? What are the core components that are missing? Very much like you do with a business. And so I had, a, 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 I had the book and then I had this, because I'm opportunistic, a friend called me up, said, hey, you want to work for this company? He had 20 people. I'm like, sure, I want to work with him. I'd known him for about 30, 13 years, actually. And then five years, I think it's about three years later, we took $54 million in private equity, uh, pretty good exit. And then a year later, I was able to step away from it. And that's when I've got back to the book and actually published it and had the time. I mean, the process of publishing the book was murder. <laughs> Editing. I mean, I had three different editors through this course and I uh, changed a lot of the ideas because as I grew the company that I was with, I started to see a lot of the ideas kind of get built out because I was seeing it in a business sense. And then I was like, oh, this applies to family as well. And I was also operationalizing all these ideas in my own family. So that's really the, it's a little long story, a little bit about the Genesis, but that's really how the book came about. And now I look at it and I'm like, well, what is the most, most important thing I could be working on right now? And I think it's helping families be successful because I see so much suffering in our society, you know, children that have, that don't come from solid families have so many problems and then they grow up and then they have families and they don't know how to do good families. So this is a self-perpetuating system of, of negative problems. And so I'm trying to help like in business, we call that the death spiral, but I'm trying to create this flywheel of success for families because I don't think it's, it's not rocket science. It's just you, people don't understand the relationships. So that's really what I'm trying to help people with and show them 
because I've just seen so many people be frustrated, like with their kids, with their own families, not being, not being able to get married, so many aspects of family. And I'm like, it's, there's some complexity, but it's not a horribly difficult game. I don't think. You know, I think I'd probably feel like I've been on both ends of that horrible game. <laughs> I've had my moments of trying to make a family work that didn't work. And then, you know, I've had my moments of being able to focus on the things that are most important to me in the, under the term, under the umbrella of family and that being my children. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you get down and you figure out what those core gears are, you know, what those most important fundamental aspects are. And you start to really center in and put your energy into that. That's where the rest of it kind of starts to follow and becomes a lot easier process. Yeah, I, I agree with the, if you know what the, the, if you know what the outcome and the goal that you're trying to achieve, it's so much better for you mentally. Cause if you, if, I, I mean, I was at one point I, I washed, <laughs> I washed dishes one summer and cleaned toilets for a family camp, and I'm like, most people would look at that and go like, that is such a crappy job. I never want to do that. I looked at it, I was like, it was so much fun because I did that during the the uh, meals, and then I got to play volleyball. I was up in the mountains. I mean, I was like, I don't know, eight thousand, nine thousand feet. I'd go up into the Aspens, it was, it was so beautiful and relaxing. I could hike to waterfalls. I, I was playing sports. We had volleyball and basketball, which I love to play. And it was also going, well, this is how I'm making money. And then I'm going to college and this is my path. So having that long-term goal, even though I was doing what most people would consider really crappy work, it allowed me mentally to be like, yeah, but this is part of the, it's part of the game. It's part of where you have to go through. And so I really enjoyed it and actually loved it and ended up getting promoted just because I was like, here's how we could do it better. I'm so excited. And then they're like, you want to run it? I'm like, I I don't know. I'm an 18 year old kid and I'm kind of stupid, (laughs) but it was a good learning opportunity. And I think it's because I just was so engaged in it. You know, I think in that story, there's something that my eyes have really opened up to a lot lately is that mindset. And how we're able to really create our mindset, which ends up depicting how we view a situation. You know, no matter what it is that we're doing. Because, yeah, washing dishes and cleaning toilets, it's not fun work. It's not glamorous at all, right? However, when you look at it through the angle that, hey, if I do this for 10 minutes, I get to go do that other fun stuff. It really takes the edge off it. And when you bring that back into a family structure, it's the same thing. It gets down to those key components. The fact that, you know, there's different bullet points that you truly enjoy that sing to your soul and get to express your values and everything else. However, there is the grunt work of it, the nitty gritty stuff, the washing dishes, scrubbing toilets that we don't enjoy so much. However, in order to have that, circle of balance stay even you have to have both sides of it and when you're engaged and you get your hands in the not so glamorous stuff if you're able to i guess fill the narrative with vocabulary that makes it seem a little bit funner or a little bit better or even just enough to build the bridge to get you back to the fun aspects of it. It goes a long way. Well, yeah, there's, there's, there's two pieces there to me, having a goal. And even if you're chipping away at it a little bit of a time at a time, right? I want to build a house or I want to own a house or I want to do these things. If you're looking at these, I mean, there was one point where my wife and I had made up, I had mostly me, I'd made a poor real estate decision in 2007 cost me. And in 2008, all of a sudden, I, I kind of was like, oh, okay, I got a job. Let's do it. 2008 hits. And all of a sudden I went from being, I don't know, I think it was about $200,000 in debt to being $450,000 in debt. <laughs> and, you know, the, the market turned and I was just, I had so much like getting through the experience. I felt like so such an idiot. I mean, I've gone to business school. I've studied all these things. Shouldn't I have been better prepared? I mean, I was frustrated really, you know, and I think most guys will go there 
you're like, am I useless? I mean, I hurt the very people I was trying to help. You know, you always have some of the <laughs> suicidal thoughts, I think, in there. And luckily, I had my wife and my my dad and my and my mom. They came around. They're like, no, we'll get through this, especially my wife. She's like, we'll do this. And after that experience, my wife and I then were like, you know, all the financial people will tell you, you know, it's not smart to pay off all your debt because you can put it in the stock market and make more in the stock market. And for me personally, I'm like, yes, but you're not accounting for the mental cost of that debt and what I, how, how it changes the way I think. So my wife and I, from that point on, just decided we are going to get out of debt, period. <laughs> right. And so I think it took us about seven years to actually dig out of all of our debt. We didn't we didn't go on vacations. We didn't do all this stuff, but we were chipping away at this thing. And man, when we paid that debt off and we were. That was the last piece of debt. We didn't have any debt on cars, but we were both working and doing this. And it felt so good, both the freedom and, and also the fact that my wife and I had done it together. Like, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, especially for men, our relationships are built around us overcoming obstacles. You know, people just two guys getting around and just talking, it, it can be useful, but it doesn't build super strong relationships. There's a guy, a psychologist, he said, men bond in the presence of stress. Like we want to fight. We want to hunt together, play sports together. Those are the things, go fishing, go whatever. Those are the things that build our camaraderie with each other. And, and even with our spouse, if we're not overcoming with our spouse, we're not building that relationship with them. And so I think a lot of it needs to, like you said, it's recontextualizing these obstacles and saying, this is giving me an opportunity to bond with my wife. And, and this is giving me an opportunity to bond with these people. This isn't this, oh crap, my life's not turning out like I want it. It was, and it took me a while, you know, going through it and then having finally getting through it to go like, I built that relationship with my wife and it was built on pain in some ways. I mean, there's, you so that's you mentioned think, it's, you mentioned something in there that I want to stop real quick. And if you're okay with exploring, because I, I know a lot of guys that deal with the suicidal thoughts and ideas and stuff like that, that shove it down. And ultimately, it ends up getting the best of them. So I want to take a moment to really stop this conversation and explore that mindset, because I like to... I guess in a way make it okay to have those feelings, to be vulnerable in that position. So can we talk a little bit about the mindset and the space that you were in during that? Yes. It's, it's not a great one. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I know that. I mean, I've been there myself. Luckily I came out the, the other side unscathed and that's why that's such an important thing to me mm -hmm. to erase that stigma around. Yeah, it's, it's interesting if you look at most people, most men, this is, from what I've seen, this is different for women, but most men, if you look at why they're looking at suicide, in almost all cases, they'll use the two words, I am useless or I am worthless, which is interesting, right? It's not saying I'm being cheated by the world or it's such and such and such. It's really looking at it and saying, like I felt worthless. I felt worse than worth. Like I'm, my job was to protect my family and provide for them financially. That's what I thought my job was. And then I had compromised their financial well-being. Right. So that to me is where I looked at that and said, you know, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel worthless. I feel like I loved my wife. I loved my children. But I looked at that and said, I am actually, it would have been better if someone else was here or if I wasn't here, because then they wouldn't have made this bad decision. So that's, I think, the big thing that people need to look at and understand. It's the worth, it's worthless and useless that men need. So a lot of times, I mean, when I didn't have a job for those 18 months, it was the same feeling. I'm like, I did. I went and got my education. I went and got an MBA and no one wants to use me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> No one thinks I'm useful. No one wants me on their, their team. And I think that is a big piece of the male mentality is we need that camaraderie to be part of a team. I'm also part of a, you know, in a, at a church I go to, and there's 
we were, there was a, a group we, of men that meets every week, but it was still this piece of, yeah, but you guys all have jobs and I don't. And there was one guy at one point where he didn't have a job and he and I talked about it and we hung out and we went fishing together. <laughs> you know, it's kind of those things where it's not something that needs to get talked through. It's really saying, I want to be useful. I and mean, I think maybe that comes back to like way back when we were all hunter gatherers, you know, and like I'm not hunting, I'm not gathering, I'm not doing anything. Like I'm providing nothing to my tribe, nothing to people. And that's when I think there's this weird, it's almost counter. I think most men think of it as, I think I thought about it this way a little bit altruistically, like it would be better for them if I wasn't here. Does that mean? And it's a weird thought process. And one of the things that's kind of changed that, that I didn't realize there's a book called the boy crisis. And it talks about if a, if a child doesn't have a dad, there are like 50 different outcomes that that kid will have all negative and, or, or high probability of having. And one of the biggest was they said, children without a dad, their IQ is 15 points lower. And I looked at that and I'm like, well, what, why would that be? Well, it's because the dads are there to challenge. We push our kids, you know, we like to play with them, but you know, if they're not playing it, they're not putting an effort, then we kind of beat them down a little bit. Like you got to play. And then he actually talked about this in his book. Men tend to push their children a lot to learn, they push them in even verbally, even though men don't have this thing of uh, being verbal, being very verbal with our kids, we'll usually do double meanings. You know, there's a reason they're dad jokes. Most of the dads are puns or twists of words or twists of meanings, which help the kids brain develop. And so that's the type of thing where I didn't realize that piece was so essential. I was only focused on the financial resources that I was providing and saying, I'm bad there, I'm useless there, without understanding the resources to my children that I as a dad was providing. And I look at it in retrospect and man, I'm my kids, I've had a lot of really good time with. And in some cases, when I didn't have jobs, went through some of that stuff, I had extra time to play with my kids and enter and work with them and read books and build stuff with them. So there's a little bit of a double edged sword. But I think if you don't understand all of your roles and all of your use as a man, then you often short change your whole family and then you see men who commit suicide and you're like yeah you felt like it was better for your family but you didn't understand that you really would would hurt them through their development and then these other ways so yeah that's that's kind of my take i don't know if you have other questions around that that's it's really uselessness and worthlessness that i've seen you know i gotta agree with you on those two descriptive words because the night that i drove into the woods those were the last things that were said to my face and that drove me right there however coming out the other side the next morning and running into actually getting smacked in the face with the quote about adversity being an opportunity to showcase who you truly are within was kind of like that thing that was almost like plugging the extension cord into the light socket because that's that changed the entire path of the journey but you hit on so many key points and you know i love the vulnerability and i appreciate the openness about sharing that because it's not easy to do and we get caught up in those two terms but then we get so stuck within ourselves on how awkward that feels you know how nobody's gonna understand because i you know two guys having a conversation i could say you know i feel like i'm gonna have this this i feel like i have this struggle and that may be the outcome and then they're gonna look at you and go come on just get up and go and number one it's because it's they're trying to push you to continue to go forward however number two they're looking at you scared because inside they know that they can have those same exact feelings, be in that exact same position and not know what to do. Yeah, I think this is the importance of the male brotherhood, having male friend, other friends that are men. Like for women, they like to talk about stuff. But for men, our testosterone, a lot of things makes us so we want to take action. Right. And so 
when I had, when I was going through these struggles, like I said, in that case with the debt and with actually with my job, it was, it was my dad. And it was a couple of friends I had who were constantly like, okay, what can we do? My, and my father-in-law was involved there a little bit. And you know, when they were helping and they were doing stuff, it was, it was beneficial, but it was me getting back in the game. And even I would say when I had a later, these are my three hells as I refer to them, the job, <laughs> the, uh, uh, home or the real estate purchase. And then I actually got audited by the IRS about five years ago. And during that IRS audit, it was just, my brain is so creative and they're like, Hey, they send you a letter. And then you're like, Oh, F <laughs> like, they could throw me in prison. They could take my house. You know, like my brain's like, here's all the ways they can screw me over. And it gets pretty bad. You know, you're like, Oh, I could get raped in prison. That would be fun. You know, like it's just, my brain would never shut off. And Finally, I, you know, I called up a friend of mine who I'd known and he was an accountant. He's like, oh yeah, I deal with this all the time. Yeah, here's how it is. And that helped me because I'm like, oh, we're we're in this together. You know what I mean? It, it goes back to this. I think we've kind of, so many people have kind of put this, I think the independence in the United States has, has kind of put life as most men visualize it as kind of a single player game. I'm playing alone. But the reality is it's not, it's a multiplayer game and you want to go in with a whole group of friends and you want to have a whole group of men who are fighting with you. And I've looked at my, my, my different groups and my other guy friends. And I'm like, yeah, those are the people who know what it's like to have the weight of a family on your shoulder and dealing with the wife, especially when there's pregnancy all these, I mean, there's so many different things that women go through as they're having children and raising children. And then there's so much that men are going through at different places, places, but not having men there makes it so much more difficult because you're like, dude, I'm alone. I don't know what to do. Should I, how do I deal with my wife? How do I deal with my kids? How do I deal with spending? If we spend too much money, you know, we get into debt. We, this game stops this whole lovely world I've created stops. And that's what I was always worried about. I mean, I had a spreadsheet when I was having difficulty getting a job and keeping it that I called how to die financially, which was just a graph going down to the right, you know, and so there's these places where I was a little pessimistic, but having other guys, men around you who have been through that and who are like, you know what? I got your back. If crap hits the fan, I knew my dad would not allow my family to go hungry. We would always have a shelter. I knew my father-in-law was there. And I think a lot of it's like, and even some of my friends, I think would have jumped in. So it's this whole thing of getting a group of men is very important two men to support the problem is we don't just like to sit we always like to let's go play a game let's go do an activity whether it's a sports or let's go hunting and fishing go to the outdoors it's those type of things and that's in the book where i talk about social resources it's in your bank account you always want to have an excess of financial resources so if you know your car breaks down you can pay the five hundred thousand dollars to get it fixed but you need to have those social resources as essentially a bank account against, and especially for your mental health, against some of these issues that happen in life. Like crap's gonna happen. Your spouse may get sick. Your kids may get sick. I mean, I had a daughter who just broke her leg, you know, <laughs> wasn't cheap financially to get all the operations she needed done, um, but we had the money and so we were fine. So that's the type of stuff where we need to have these reserves of financial, social and human capital, human resources so that we can survive some of these things. Cause I think if I hadn't had those social resources of my, my dad and some of my friends, when I had gone through that thing, I may have not, I may not be here today. See, it's cool the way that you articulated that cause it <clears throat> really kind of ties together a lot of things that I've been deep diving into a lot lately. And I feel like we've really as a society dr drifted away from and that being First of all, most importantly, the underlining theme of that being how we suffer more within our own head than what reality has. You know, I believe that Seneca really hit that nail on the head with that point because we do. We get caught up in all the what ifs and it triggers all the anxieties and all the worries and can lead you down those dark paths of, of suicidal thoughts. And, you know, I do, I'm not good enough to be here. I don't want not worthy this and that and it kills that vocabulary of self-talk 
and when you get down in that hole, like it's hard to dig yourself out the deeper it gets. And the other being that social aspect. You know, when you think about before the great, you know, American and Indian Wars and everything like that, there was such a emphasis on community and support within those Native American cultures that as European Americans expanded and took things over, we kind of didn't necessarily look at. We didn't necessarily think about how to adapt that into our own way of life. It was more about chasing what we feel is God-given results, things that we deserve just for being here and putting in the effort. But if you get back to those roots, those simpler aspects and times, you can find so much support and easy answers for really that self-talk and all that suffering that's going on in your own head. Yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of the community stuff historically was around uh, your church groups, right? It was value-based social groups. And that's where I think we've started. We've, we've de-emphasized those. A lot of people are leaving church groups and they're not understanding that they're also, they're having this reduction in social resources, Right. That's where I call them. I break my resources into financial, social and human and social resources in the business world. I think we'd all know that's sales team. That's your marketing team. That's your brand. All of those things are super important to a business. Right. And that's the community building aspect of your business. But in our families, we used to have, you know, moms used to be very much on the community level. My mom did tons of community work with Boy Scouts. My dad did Boy Scouts. She also, you know, was doing, uh, she helped in schools. She helped in a lot of different environments. And that was all what I would consider community investment, but it didn't have a financial return, right? And that's what now people seem to have reduced their amount of investing in a community. And now they're just investing their time and energy at a job for money. So you're like, well, yeah, you have more money, so you have more financial resources, but you have less social resources. And it's interesting, as I've looked at it, and I think there's an interesting story to, I mean, there's a story to illustrate it with Bill Gates. So Bill Gates' mom, she she worked as a teacher, got her te teaching kids, she married her husband lawyer, and then she had three children, then she stopped working, just taking care of the kids. Once the kids got older, then she started to invest in social resources. She started to invest in the community. She served on the board of the University of Washington, and then she served on the board of United Way, right? That's service. That's building up your social connections in the community. Well, it happens that on the board of United Way also was the CEO of IBM, who happened to be a massively important connection for Bill Gates. So you could look at her and say, yeah, she wasn't investing for a return. She, she, she could have been working as a school teacher making $30,000, $40,000 a year. But if she hadn't made that investment, from what I can tell, Bill Gates may not have made his whatever $100 billion. So that's one of these cases where it's hard to know. It's hard to see the lack of social resources, the lack of connectivity. We saw it with COVID where all of a sudden everyone couldn't even connect. And so everyone felt less connected. But I think people have started to value social connections and social resources so much less. And there's, and that's where we're seeing a lot of the issues in our society. See, to me, a lot of that equals holding that balance because you've got the business world, you've got the social world and everything in between. And it's easy to get caught up in one end or the other because it's distracted. And the more distractions that you find, the easier it is to ignore the things that you're not comfortable with or the things that you don't like. And that throws you off balance. So being able to be mindful of that and aware of, hey, you know, if I invest too much over here, you know, my right hand's gonna become empty and it's gonna go up in the air and just kind of float and you know, the circle is uneven, it's not balanced anymore. So I've got to put some emphasis over here in order to bring things back in line. And that's really, I believe, one of the most important messages that any of us could pick up on. And honestly, 
work into our daily practices, taking that time to journal, meditate, whatever the case may be to help you find that stillness. But to really take some time and focus and think about finding that balance and how are you honoring yourself and once you start to do that then it projects outward and it brings in your family it brings in whatever your career is and whatever other social engagements that you're into it brings you into the moment and it allows you to fully invest within what you're doing yeah well yeah i totally agree the one thing that i think is interesting if you look at that story with bill gates mom his dad was doing all the investing for what i would call financial resources then the mom was doing a lot of the investing for social resources, right? And it's the same way in a business. You'll have somebody working on marketing and then you'll have somebody working on the product that you're gonna sell, right? You don't have, you need both people. And it's the same, so many people I think have mis, they've either lost the idea of specialization or misunderstand it where you're like, the women are now trying to do what the men used to do and the men are still trying to do the men thing. And then it's like, hey, let's get in a family. Let's build a family and you're like, we're both doing the same roles. If all we're both doing is making money, there's not any benefit to the whole, the, the larger organization, right? What I've seen with my wife, like my wife and I have an Irish dance studio we've run for 20 years. It's been great. She does all the teaching. She deals with the teachers. She deals with the parents. She deals with that type of stuff. I deal with all the technology. I've never danced a day of Irish dance in my life. You know, I've never taken a class, but I know enough about it to, I built an app for it. I. I edit audio for it. I help my wife run recitals and competitions with thousands of people there. So I've done all these things, but it's we do those things together and we play off each other's strengths. And it seems like a lot of people, sometimes women, sometimes men, aren't looking and saying, hey, your strength is X and my strength is Y. If we get together, we're going to freaking crush it. But And it's not because we're going to be like, well, we'll both do the same thing. It's like, no, you do marketing. I like to, you like to interact with people. I like to interact with things. I'll build this great app. You'll sell it. We're going to crush it. And that's really what you see in businesses. But if, and you see the same thing happen in families that are working together, they're like, you know, if, if, if you come home from work every day and the woman's like, well, now you need to do my work. It's like, wait a minute. If, if the agreement was I go and make the money and you stay home and take care of the house. And then you're saying, no, now I need to come home and take care of the house. I'm confused. Like, are, are, do we have jobs? Do we not? I mean, there's a place where, where if she does it, she goes to work. You know, it's how are we specializing here and how are we better together than we were separate? Because if you start to keep score like, well, it's got to be 50-50. You need to do the laundry. You need to do this. Okay, are you going to work for me? Like, how are these things going to work? And so if, if you split them up and appreciate each other, you're like, I'm so glad you went to work because... <laughs> Now we have this time that I can spend at home building the house. And you're like, you know what? I'm so glad you're spending time with the kids and educating them. That's a huge priority and taking care of the home. I appreciate your role. And so it's a lot of like a lack of appreciation for other people's strengths. And, you know, I, my wife and I, I take care of the outside of the house. So when the roof is leaking, that's on me. I get up and put a tarp on it, deal with that. But on the inside of the house, if it needs to be clean, those type of things, that's that's her responsibility. Now, I'll help her and she'll help me shovel snow if I need it, you know, if there's just a ton. But it's my job. And that's how I, I think it works really well if you have clear roles and responsibilities in a family and in a business. I mean, I don't know if you've worked in a business where they don't have clear roles. You're like, this sucks. Who's supposed to do anything? <laughs> and I think it's the same in a family. No, I think it's a great point right there of number one knowing thyself you know you got to be honest and understand what your strengths and what your weaknesses are and then as you move into you know these relationships whether they're professional within the company and the business that you're with that you're in or personal and family dynamic oriented relationships being able to bounce those skills and weaknesses off of each other and you know essentially put the aces in their places right and do what you're strong at and let somebody pick up where you're not so strong at. And I think it's a challenge sometimes, especially when you're, in my case, kind of spinning your wheels, doing it all yourself. You know, you've got 
the aspects that you love doing, then you got these other aspects you're like, man, I got to deal with that. And then you do it, and it all comes together, regardless of how many people are in the picture. When it all comes together, you get that big, cheesy smile, and you look at things, and you're like, yes, we did it. And it's a great feeling. Well, and this conversation yeah. is a perfect example of that. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's, I mean, the, the, your podcast is a great example. Like all the podcasters in my, from what I've seen, they all start alone. <laughs> okay. Right. I've got to figure out all the podcasting. Then I've got to figure out this, got to figure out all the marketing. I got to figure it out. And then over time, almost all of them are, okay, I'm going to hire an editor. I'm going to hire a marketing person. Like they'll start to hire out some of the things they don't do as well. Maybe they're great at marketing and they need to hire something else, but they start to hire around their weaknesses in some ways or the things they don't like to do. And that's how all businesses tend to work. And I think it's the same thing. You know, if you go into a relationship and you understand what in, in both business and in family, what are you bringing? What am I bringing? Or is this a good compliment? Like I, I look at people like, you know, Donald Trump's wife. I don't think I would be a good husband for her. And I don't think she would be a good wife for me. She's, you know, she was attractive, all these things, but she's much more of a socialite. Whereas I'm like, I don't have that much money. Like it's going to be about digging in. <laughs> my, my wife's painted our home. We've done drywall together. You know, those type of things. It's a different mentality. And so a lot of times if you're looking like what culture is she coming from? I call this the business model. You know, like, how are we going to make this business of family work? And what's our culture? What's our strategy, structure, and culture? And you're looking at people going, you know, you're, you're a phenomenal person. And there's a lot of people I know like this. Like, you're a phenomenal girl. You're great. You're just not the right one for me. You know, it's like, you may be a phenomenal marketer, but I need a sales guy. <laughs> like, cool. It's but almost like getting caught up in the winds of a tornado. You know, you see something you're excited about and you're like, yeah, I'm running for that. And then you hit the ground and you're like, yeah, that wasn't wasn't exactly complimentative of my strengths and my weaknesses. This has been a great conversation and it's been a lot of fun. We've got to feel like we've touched on so much that we or have so much left to touch on. But I got one question for you as we start to come to the end of this is from the little flywheel that starts things all the way to the big machine that starts moving things. You have to leave us with some tips, tricks, and inspiration to build that big machine. I would say the purpose of building the book, and I have this on my website too. So there's a model that I have where it's like, you have your business model, which is your strategy, structure, and culture. If you get that for yourself as an individual, right, you don't have friction between those two things then you start to take whatever resources you do have, which are financial, social, or human, and then you start to take an action. Oh, now I have more financial resources because of that action. Okay, now, now I can do different things because I have more money. You have this very flywheel effect, but only if you understand you're not just trying to make money, you're trying to build social and you're trying to build human resources. A big part of that would be your own personal education and learning. So there's a point when you're learning, I'm sure you saw this with your podcast, where you weren't making money. <laughs> you're like, I'm learning how to interview. That's you investing your time and money into that process. And then as you get better, then you're like, okay, we've got that piece down. Now I'm gonna work on the marketing. And I just tweaked that a little bit. And now, now over time, those two things, and I keep spending my time, they start to produce a little money. And then that money, then you're like, well, I can keep, now I can hire people. I can do that. It's this flywheel effect, but only if you understand the different resources that are involved and that you're investing in and not just be like, it's got to be money. Money is usually the last thing that businesses care about, right? That businesses achieve. If you look at all the venture capitalists, the first thing they're saying is, can you build a product? Do you have the, can you market it? Will people use it? Like look at Facebook. I don't think they made money the first like three or four years they existed. Google was similar. It's a lot of this delayed gratification of investing without making financial return. When I went to college for six years, I was paying money to go there in hopes that it would turn out. And the more we look at this holistic picture and say, am I investing for financial, social, and human resource returns? You're going to make much better decisions. And so I would say that's a big one. And the second one we kind of talked about would be on your business model. Make sure you're going into business 
with a person who's a good fit. We spend so much, every business person will tell you the worst mistake you make is hiring the wrong person. And I, and that's exactly the same in your life. If you marry the wrong person, that's the worst mistake you can make. So think about it more of what is she bringing? What is she used to? Do we have a culture fit? Do we have strategic alignment? Do we, we have long-term goals that are the same? And then do we have structural fit? Does she want to do things that I don't want to do? And I want to do things she doesn't want to do. If you get that business model aligned, then it becomes much easier to create the flywheel. But if you look at, I mean, it sounds like you've been through the divorce phase. That's the best way to destroy wealth, right? You get divorced. <laughs> and it's like all of your wealth, your flywheel essentially comes apart. Exactly. Like, and then you're like, okay, we got to get this started again. But often you learn what piece of your flywheel didn't work. Oh, I, I married this girl and she had a different culture than we did, or she had different roles. So those are the things it's like focus, make sure you understand the resources and how to invest there. And then also make sure you, when you're going in to the business, make sure you have someone who's complementary on your business model as a family business model, as I refer to it. I think it's when you look beyond the one single marshmallow and you keep your eyes on the two or three that are sitting a little further down the picnic table that it gives you that idea or that opportunity to find some clarity. And within that clarity, the proper steps really lay themselves out. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's interesting because when I wrote the book, I had no sense of, Oh, I'm going to do podcasts. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I didn't have Welcome a station for it. And then it's like, Oh, now I need to do podcasts. Now I need to start down this other path. It Now I have this, this asset of a book, but if, I don't use the asset, then it has no value. Like now I have to use that and try to make it work and see if it's going to provide value to people and see if they see what I see. So that to me is, it's like I focused on that book for a while. Now that's done. Now I need to focus on the marketing. And the whole time I'm focused, like I never wrote a book, so I'm learning about that. I never <laughs> did the podcast, so I'm learning about that. It's this perpetual learning cycle. And who knows? I, I mean, it could be that I end up, with a different company, someone calls me up, they want me to be a CEO or COO of some company. And then I'm like, well, now I'm going to put this on hold again. But maybe the skills that I developed in doing podcasts and talking to people, that was it, that was essential to me going to the next level. So it's always hard. I don't know. I feel like we're kind of planting seeds sometimes, but we don't know what seed we're planting. You know, <laughs> is, it a, is it a grain of wheat? Is it an apple seed? Is it an oak tree? And then as we, as they kind of come to fruition, you're like, oh, now that I have an oak tree, now I can do cabinetry. And then it's like, that's where I feel like a lot of life is we take actions and sow and build connections, you know, build some of these social resources. And I mean, this last job I had that we did so well with, with it was a friend of mine for 13 years who called me up and said, hey, so you have the skill set over, you've developed it through all these weird jobs. We need it. You want to come over here? I'm like, sure, let's do it. And so there was no sense that my um, investing in that relationship with him was ever going to yield any fruit. I mean, I've invested in so many relationships that haven't actually haven't yielded that level of fruit for sure. And some of them have not worked out or I'm just, you know, lost over time. But it's like you say, it's this you're planting seeds and sometimes you'll you'll be able to take advantage of them in your life. But if you're not planting, if you're sitting home watching Netflix, you're not planting anything and there's never going to be a harvest for you. No, you're right. You got to get out there and you got to live. You got to pick up the shovel, dig the hole, throw the seeds in there and kind of let them grow as they do. Or get in a tent and record podcasts. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. This is the weird thing. When <laughs> I've looked at so many successful people on the different social media, different areas, and it's never... The most successful people that I've seen, it's never a, a straight path. It wasn't right. like, well, I did X and then I wanted to do the next thing. And then I did the next. And from the time I was six years old, here was my plan. And I just executed it. No, it's always like, hey, there's this opportunity. Here's my resource set. What's the coolest act or best action to take now? Boom. Here's what I feel like I'm going towards. Here's what I feel like I need to do. Boom. And I mean, I had a a podcast I did with a Google engineer. And I'm like, why are you doing this? You obviously don't need the money. He's like, well, it's helping me learn how to speak better. It's learn how to communicate better. And who knows, maybe it gets him a management position or maybe it pushes him in some other direction. 
you just never know. But if you're constantly investing in yourself and in your learning, so many opportunities will present themselves in your life. You'll be wealthy. You're absolutely correct. So as we do wrap this up, though, you got to let people know where they can pick up the family flywheel as well as how they can get in touch with you and whatever you got coming up. Yeah. So the books on Amazon, the family flywheel, um, and then you can find me on the social media, LinkedIn and Facebook at Aaron K. Shelley. And then I've also got a website, thefamilyflywheel.com, where I have some resources that support the book and help you go through the different resources, help you identify what resources you have, then also what business model you're using in terms of your strategy, structure, and culture. And that that kind of, if you're married, especially, that helps if you do it separately, because then you look at it and say, your culture is this. Mine's that we need to, we got some conflict we need to work through. Because once you get alignment with your family culture, you're going to see this massive flywheel take off of wealth from what I've seen. So those are the main places. You can also contact me at Aaron at the flywheel.com. I'd love to, I always love questions and I love to help any families that I can because that's really my mission right now. So. Well, brother, it's been an amazing conversation. I love the book. The book was great and stay in touch. We'll have to do this again sometime. Sounds great, Mike. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. All right, that is it, that is all, and that is the end. My friend, we have reached the end of yet another campfire session a Project Mindfully Outdoors. And I am truly grateful that Aaron took the time to share his story the way that he did with us. You know, I think this was one of those beautiful campfire sessions that you not only walk away having learned something and grown from the seeds that were planted, but truly inspired. And it was a beautiful talk. So I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that you got some value as well. And, you know, those seeds that were planted begin to germinate for you. But on that note, I want to take a moment before we get out of here to talk about something that I'm super excited about for this summer. And if I'm going to be completely honest here about this one, I, I've got to pass some words of thanks, sincere gratitude to Aaron for inspiring this a little bit. He doesn't know about it, but after this conversation, I did a little bit of brainstorming and I put together what's going to transition into the next phase, you know, of camp because I've wanted originally I envisioned this to be more than just a digital community. And if you're in or planning on being or just happen to have some time and want to come to the lower Michigan area anyway, you can join me in the field. You can hit the trails with me and I can't wait to do this as a part of the Mindful Adventure series. I'm going to take a handful of people out on each different little trip and we're going to spend the day not only in the field and more specifically on the trails, but we're going to get into some meditation and teach you a little bit of stuff and some cool techniques and skills to help you foster and build that connection with mother nature and with yourself and then to top it all off and this is the part that i'm really looking forward to and i can't wait to share with you guys is i'm going to teach you some outdoor skills as well some cool tips and tricks and things that you can utilize to really make your time in the woods or on the trail that much more enjoyable that much more fun and really to give back to mother nature and to thank her for carrying us. So look, if you found any value within this project, the podcast, any of it, I can't wait to get on the trails with you this summer. And if you want to join me, remember space is limited. So 
act quickly. Swing over to projectmindfulloutdoors.co and you'll find all the necessary information there. You can reserve your spot and we're going to hit the trails. And until then, and until next time, my friend, I'm calling for you to get out in the wild because that's where the stillness and the adventure lies. See ya.